listening to a podcast produced by the Jackson School of International Studies and the Ellison Center for Russian, East European, and Central Asian Studies at the University of Washington. This and other podcasts can be found on iTunes and SoundCloud. For more information, visit us at jsis.washington.edu forward slash Ellison Center. get started. Um, good afternoon. My name is Craig Gannett. I'm the president of the Henry M. Jackson Foundation and Rashad has, <laughs> has deputized me to kick off this event. Um, just a um, very brief word uh, about the, the Jackson Foundation. It is uh, named after Henry M. Jackson, the same person after whom the, the school is named. Um, he had um, as you may know, a, a deep and abiding interest in uh, matters related to the Soviet Union, now Russia, uh, and um, in all matters uh, affecting our environment. So um, it's very appropriate that, that we be part of this. Um, we have several board members with us who I assume will introduce themselves during questions, as well as, as our staff. Um, all of which is a lead up to saying how um, pleased and honored I am to welcome Evgenia Chirkova, um, a, um, an environmental activist um, visiting us from, from, uh, from Russia. Um, and uh, we look forward to your comments. I'll turn it over to Scott in just a minute. Um, but first I want to recognize Leah Misik, one of our Jackson Fellows, who developed the relationship with, with Evgenia that um, has led to this connection, and it's it's a real pleasure to see one of our fellows making these kinds of connections that make a difference in the world. So thank you, uh, Leah. Um, and so before I turn it over to Scott, I just want to make two rather obvious observations. One is that the fight for the environmental health of the planet is a worldwide fight, and in that sense, we are all comrades in arms, um, particularly with respect to climate change. We're either all going to ultimately survive or die based on our combined efforts. And so having this connection to you is, is great. Um, the second thought is how, how easy we have it here in the United States, where if we speak out uh, in favor of environmental action, at worst, if things go very badly, we, we go to jail. Um, in which case we appear before a judge that's part of an independent judiciary um, and our, our uh, punishment is meted out by an impartial uh, uh, individual. Whereas in Russia, none of those safeguards apply uh, and so the stakes are so much higher when you speak out than when we speak out that I can have nothing but unbounded admiration for your willingness to do so. So with that, Scott. Thank you. Uh, so I'm Scott Radnitz. I'm the director of the Ellison Center for Russian, East European, and Central Asian Studies here at UW. Uh, thanks, everybody, for coming today uh, and enjoying some lunch. Uh, I want to say um, when we heard that Evgenia Chudikova was coming to town, uh, we were very excited and jumped on the opportunity immediately. Uh, so I want to thank the Jackson Foundation for making this possible. Uh, it's not every day that we get a, a superstar in town like this. Uh, I also want to thank Leah Misik for um, 
uh, shepherding her around town. And this is the first stop on a multi-city trip of the U.S., so we're also honored to be um, the first place that you thought of when you decided to come to the U.S. Uh, before I introduce her, I just want to point out um, there are flyers around with upcoming events. Next month will be the 30th anniversary of the fall of the Berlin Wall, and we're doing a few events associated with that. So I want to point out events on November 6th, 7th, and 8th in particular. Uh, on the evening of November 7th, we're doing a panel on history and memory in um, Eastern Europe since the wall. And um, uh, it involves three people, including um, a high-ranking diplomat, uh, William Hill, who also has a book, which he'll be presenting the day before, um, on uh, politics and security involving Russia. Uh, I also should point out that this event is being recorded and will end up on YouTube, so just keep that in mind uh, in the Q&A when that happens. So uh, the plan is Yevgenia uh, will speak for about 40, 45 minutes, and then we'll open the floor for questions, uh, and we'll probably end at about 1.30. So Yevgenia Chirikova is an environmental activist from Russia, which is one of the most difficult jobs in the world, I have to say. Uh, she came to prominence when she opposed the building of a motorway through the Kimsky Forest uh, near Moscow, and since then has played a prominent role in activism and environmental issues in Russia. She was involved in the 2011-2012 protests uh, following the disputed parliamentary elections in Russia. In March 2011, she received the Woman of Courage Award uh, handed to her by U.S. Vice President at the time, Joe Biden. In 2012, she was the winner of the Goldman Environmental Prize. In November 2012, Foreign Policy named her one of 2012's uh, top 100 global thinkers. In 2015, she organized a portal called Activatica, Activatica.org, and is currently organizing media support for grassroots groups. Uh, and today, she's going to give an overview of environmental activism in Russia today. And uh, look forward to that. Thank you. So, thank you. Please um, welcome. I want to say thank you very much for my best friend, Leah, and for Jackson Foundation and for University of Washington for this great opportunity for me to show for you other face of Russia, because Russia don't have a face of unpredictable bandit Putin. We have other faces on our uh, Russian civil society. And I want to uh, begin my presentation from short video for introduction our activity on Himke Forest. When my husband and I first married, we wanted to find the prettiest, greenest place to raise our family. We were tired of Moscow, so we moved to be near the Hinky Forest. One day we were in the oak grove and noticed that a lot of trees had red markers on them, indicating they would be cut down. We were shocked. Yevgenia discovered that Hinke Forest would be destroyed because Prime Minister Putin revoked a federal protection for it to build the Moscow-St. Petersburg Highway. 
With deep ties to Putin, French construction giant Binsay became the lead in the $8 billion project. We found out that a French company secretly planned to use our tax money to build the road. The profits would go into the pockets of Putin's cronies. We knew we had to fight that corruption, particularly because there were better routes for the highway that would save this beautiful forest. Without any prior experience in grassroots organizing, Evgenia left her engineering practice and formed a group to defend Hinke Forest. We tried every possible way to protect Hinke. We buried the president in our petitions and organized demonstrations and concerts. When they started clear-cutting without permits, we took our protest into the forest and created a camp to stop the construction. The activists threw themselves in front of bulldozers, suffering beatings and arrests in the process. The stakes were raised when a number of journalists covering the story were attacked and nearly killed. Then, in one of the largest environmental protests in Russian history, Evgenia and her allies brought together a crowd of 5,000 in Moscow's Pushkin Square. In response, President Medvedev ordered a public inquiry into the highway's environmental impacts. After considering the appeals, I'm ordering the government to halt the construction of this road. Admission of injustice is such a rare move on the part of our government that even only temporarily admitting they are wrong is quite significant. Six months later, construction resumed. The standoff in the forest continues. The Defend Hinke movement helped spark a broader political uprising when tens of thousands of people took to the streets of Moscow protesting corrupt parliamentary elections. The campaign to save a forest became the new face of Russian civil society. We all live in Hinki Forest has become our rallying cry. We shared in the realization that common people must come together to defend their rights, and we must never give up. For outstanding environmental achievement in Europe, the 2012 Golden Environmental Prize is awarded to Evgenia Cherikova, Moscow, Russia. Thank you. And could you call my presentation? Okay. Oh, my friends, I think that we live on a really fantastic time of transformation of Russian civil society. 13 years ago, uh, when I began uh, my activity uh, like an activist, activism on Russia was really a rare phenomenon. And for example, my relatives uh, thought that I am really crazy and decided to check my mental, <laughs> my mental health uh, because I decided to save Hemke Forest for free. And my relatives uh, are not monstrous. It was absolutely normal reaction for post-Soviet uh, Union people. In order to understand why activism in Russia was, uh, uh, was so rare and abnormal, it is necessary to tell you a little bit about the Soviet government and our history. 
100 years ago, in my country, power was seized by terrorist group like ISIS. Soviet leaders called their power the Red Terror. The methods of the Soviet regime were terrible, including mass repressions and the executions of innocent people. But if you think that all Russians accept the Soviet regime with pleasure, you are mistaken. In 1912, the Soviet government decided to organize war communism and started to rob bread from farmers. Uh, in Tambov, 50,000 farmers, 50,000 took part in a resistance campaign. Lenin ordered to protest be stopped. The founder of the KGB, Dzerzhinsky, and a military leader, Tukhachevsky, organized a military campaign against the farmers. They used gas, concentration camps, mass shooting. They killed families of protesters and destroyed villages. It was a real war between people and authorities. And people for one year uh, uh, organized uh, uh, for one uh, for uh, for one year, organized campaign against authorities, and the Soviet regime won, thanks to disgusting methods. Soviet power built a system of violence. People who openly criticize decision of authorities come to prison. For a joke about Stalin, one could go to Siberia to Gulag. The result of such a government was a change in human behavior. People became passive. They were afraid to defend uh, their rights and have opinion. This is why, after the collapse of the Soviet Union, Russian civil society was so passive, without grassroots activity. In the 80s, people were tired of Soviet power. Nobody believed in Soviet ideology, including Communist Party members. Perestroika began and change of regime, but people had no experience with self-organization. In the 19th, the economic situation in the country was terrible. And for example, on my family, uh, it was really a serious crisis. And my father, PhD physics, and my mother, uh, she was uh, an engineer. And sometimes we didn't have bread and potatoes. And of course, uh, we needed to survive. And uh, uh, it is really difficult to think about civil society when you are hungry. And who won in the 90s in Russia? Those who knew how to organize. The KGB, the members of Communist Party, the mafia, the oligarch uh, who uh, privatized national resources won. Those who knew how to organize uh, seized power in my motherland, in my country, and created the mafia state. The situation slowly started to change after an environmental uh, disaster. In 2010, in Moscow and in many regions of Russia, there was a huge problem with forest fire. fires. I remember this time. It was really impossible to breathe normally. 
But the authorities ignored this problem. People were forced to solve this problem on their own without the help of the state. At the same time, authorities began to cut down Himki Forest to build a highway connection Moscow and St. Petersburg. Uh, but this time we had a grassroots experience and we were able to gather 5,000 people for demonstration in Moscow. For 2010, it was a record. And after the demonstration, President Dmitry Medvedev was first, uh, I show for you a uh, picture. It's uh, Pushkinskaya Square, our demonstration. First great meeting for me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and Dmitry Medvedev was first to stop the project for one year. For us, it was incredible victory. Why? Because we understand we are powerful and we can influence the decisions of authority. At this moment, we have incredible and inspiring trend. Increasing number grassroots groups. It is important to understand that uh, it's so difficult to organize grassroots activity in Russia because all state institutions from the prosecutor's office and courts to the police walk walks against people. Russian media has turned to propaganda machine. The Russian parliament adopted the foreign agency law and uh, this decision killed independent NGOs uh, that helped the grassroots uh, movements. As a result, activists found themselves alone without uh, the support and with mafia state, without experience, without normal state institutions, and without independent media. It was my reason why we, with uh, members of my team from Himke Forest, decided to organize special resource, media resource for activists. And you can see uh, a picture from my uh, portal, from activatico.org, and if you open our portal, you can see a big map of Russia. And you can see a lot of points. Each of these points, there is a different type of activity. If you push for uh, one point, you can find a real activity on Russia. And I think it's, it's really very good. If you get some news from Russia, please open our uh, portal, and you found very inspiring information about activity of ordinary people. There is a myth uh, that civil activism cannot win in Putin's Russia. But in reality, this is not true. I would like to share with you some successful campaign. And of course, I begin from environmental campaign. It's my favorite. The victory of the Suna partisans, it's amazing. In Karelia, it's in north of Russia, uh, which is uh, uh, located near St. Petersburg. The Regional Ministry of Natural Resources and Ecologic, uh, Ecologic, Ecology gave a license to company to cut down Sunskoy forest for sand mining. But this forest was incredibly important for people who live near this forest. And it were ordinary people, uh, 90 and 80 years old people. And this 
pensioners organize campaign for protecting their forest and they stay on this forest on Karelia day and night, winter and summer was minus 22 but they stay and they attract a huge attention and they win, they won and authorities decided to change their decision and uh, to stop this horrible project. This victory showed how the weak can be strong. And other very important victory, uh, it's a victory of uh, activists from Yekaterinburg. It's happened on this summer. The authorities together with the Orthodox Church decided to cease uh, the square on Yekaterinburg uh, and build uh, on this square fitness center and cathedral, both together. <laughs> it's crazy, crazy authorities. It's important to understand that the Orthodox Church, it's not a church. It's a very important part of Putin's regime, Putin's system. Thousands of people came uh, to defense of the square. Police brutally attacked people, but people did not back down. And this situation attracted attention, including foreign media and people won. And authorities considered, uh, uh, and uh, uh, the protesters uh, get very important one. And the victory in Yekaterinburg, it's not so rare for us. And we had the same victory uh, on Moscow mm -hmm. on 2016 on Tarfanka Park. And uh, this uh, um, place was the same situation. And Orthodox Church with Moscow authorities decided to seize six hectares of uh, land of Tarfanka Park and it's violate a Russian legislation, but it's not problem for Orthodox Church and Russian authorities. And they decided to build a cathedral on park. And uh, when uh, con uh, construction equipment entered to the park, 100 local residents surround the equipment. Defense of the park organize an ecological camp. They live in the park for two years. <laughs> winter and summer. The police regularly beat up and arrested activists, but people don't uh, back down. Once the police arrested some defenders, included family members, included teenagers, child of uh, leaders of protest, and including their parents, disabled older people. And uh, protesters very good respond and they organize very creative online campaign and thousands of people around the world uh, supported the activists even the members of European Parliament and even the uh, famous politicians including Mikhail Khodorkovsky uh, and you can observe this picture with a uh, small uh, transparent, with small banner. It's mean I Tarfianka. Tarfianka is the name of park. And keep a safe park for people. As a result, people won and the Orthodox Church abandoned its plan. As the same victory was in St. Petersburg, in Malinovka Park, in Malinovka the same situation. Orthodox Church with uh, St. Petersburg authorities decided to cease 
two uh, hectares of the park Malinovka and to build a church. Uh, but local citizens uh, decided to organize campaign and they collected over 27,000 signature uh, to protect the park. The activists organized very nice, very beautiful action. Hawk Park, you can see this action. <laughs> so beautiful. And uh, defenders uh, uh, organized a lot of actions and a result of this campaign, the park was saved. And ironically, uh, ironically, increasing grassroots activity in Russia happened thanks uh, to the stupid decision of Russian authorities. And one of such terrible decisions is the transportation of waste, waste from Moscow to Arkhangelsk region by railway. And the uh, uh, distance between uh, Moscow and Arkhangelsk region, 745 miles. And it was so stupid decision that, of course, people decided to answer for authorities. And at this moment, uh, people organize a uh, campaign and the ecological camp. And at this moment, people uh, in Arkhangelsk district stay uh, in Shies. Shies, it, it, it's, uh, 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 it's a name of uh, one region in Arkhangelsk district. And they stay day and night in Shies. And uh, uh, protesters from Arkhangelsk district organized uh, <coughs> actions uh, in dozens of Russian cities under the banner, Russia is not a landfill. And you can observe ecological camp. Because people from Arkhangelsk district think that it's really humiliation when authorities decided to transportation based from Moscow to Arkhangelsk district is really strange. And uh, I think that it's, uh, at this moment, it's extremely important campaign for Russian civil society. And I want to share with you another interesting trend, uh, the growth of independent trade unions in Russia. It is important to understand that most Russians have no experience protecting their labor rights through trade unions. We didn't have trade unions in Soviet Union, of course. Of course we have, we had trade unions, but it was only fake for beautiful picture. We didn't have normal and real trade unions. Uh, and I want to show, uh, to share with you information about new independent trade union. And you can see a young woman. Uh, her name is Anastasia Vasilieva, and she is a leader of uh, trade union, Dr. <coughs> Alliance. And uh, she decided to protect the labor rights of her mother. It's an interesting story. As a result of terrible medical reform, Anastasia's mother, an ophthalmologist with great experience, was transferred to the position of a cleaning lady. Yeah. And after that, Anastasia helped her mother, and other doctors began to ask her for help. And Anastasia decided to organize trade union uh, to defend doctors' labor rights. And the doctors' uh, alliance helped doctors in the small town in Akulovka. It's a small town in Nizhgorodsk district. Uh, organized a strike. It was a 
it was a first time on their life is it's not so usual for Russia organizing strike. <laughs> As a result, doctors doubled their salary, doubled. And I need to explain you that salary of doctors on Akulovka was approximately $100 a month. And it was impossible to survive, of course. <coughs> it was a very important victory. And now uh, the Doctor Alliance experience uh, uh, was so important. And uh, uh, this uh, trade union has more than 220 20 uh, branches around Russia. This uh, example for the doctors inspired Russian teachers. And they decided to organize the same trade union, the Teachers Alliance. And <coughs> I show for you leader of uh, Teachers Alliance. Uh, it's a young woman. Her name is Olga Smirnova uh, from Kostroma region. And uh, 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 thanks uh, of uh, uh, Teachers Alliance, they achieved a 30% increase in salaries for all the teachers at her school. And in uh, uh, 2016, Elona Borisova, you can see this woman, a stewardess from Aeroflot company, and Aeroflot is a huge company from uh, Russia, organized a tra uh, trade union of Sheremetyevo stewards and stewardesses. It was a response to discrimination policy of Aeroflot, and I little bit explained for you. If stewardess look like me, uh, not so young, uh, more than 40 years old, and uh, have an um, uh, average size of dress, Aeroflot organized for this person horrible work conditions. Why? Because Aeroflot want to collaborate only with skinny and young people. <laughs> <laughs> and Ilona Borisova and her colleagues decided to respond and organize a campaign. Unfortunately, she was fired immediately <laughs> after that, but she continued. And uh, they decided to organize a campaign uh, to protect the labor rights of uh, stewards and stewardesses. Uh, and they organized a strike. And more than 500 people took sick leave and did not go to work. And well, they also organized a, a series of pickets in front of Sheremetyevo airport in Moscow. This action attracted a lot of attention, and it's very help. Why? Because several stewardesses began to file discrimination case to court and win them. It's absolutely unusual for Russia because we don't have this practice. Uh, and uh, another example of trade union uh, activity is a truck driver's movement. Uh, uh, in 2015, authorities adopted a new toll system, Platon, which forced truck drivers to pay uh, an additional tax to use highways. The beneficiary of this system is a son of oligarch Arkady Rotenberg, and Arkady Rotenberg is a close friend of Mr. Putin. Yeah. And uh, I remind you that Arkady Rotenberg was a beneficiary of uh, motorways through Himke Forest too. 
and uh, several independent trade unions of truck drivers responded and organized an all-Russian movement against the Platon tax uh, system. As a result, they achieved a big decrease in the fee, and the authorities afraid and did not apply the Platon system for the passenger cars. And after the annexation of Crimea, after the economic sanctions and the fall of the oil price, uh, the economic crisis began in Russia. And authorities began con to, consider pe uh, to consider people as a new oil and decided to squeeze money from people. And uh, one of such disgusting uh, initiatives for squeezing money, money from people is a project of renovation in Moscow. In 2017, Moscow officials decided to build skyscrapers, skyscrapers in place of five-story houses on Moscow. The Moscow authorities made uh, an attempt to adopt a new law and demolish houses without opinion of homeowners. It's so interesting uh, because, of course, it was an attempt uh, to violate private property rights, like in Soviet Union time. And, and you need to understand that people bought this flat and pay huge money. For example, uh, 40 meters flat on Moscow uh, has a cost $200,000. It's not a cheap. And authorities decided to demolish uh, private property without opinion of owners of the flat. Of course, people answer and organize a huge campaign. And you can observe a huge demonstration in the center of Moscow. As a result, a sort of, sort of homes were saved from demolition. But the most important outcome was to prevent the authorities from adopting a law on the demolition of housing without notifying the owners. I think it's an important win. After the powerful uh, resistance movement, many Moscovites realized that they themselves should run as candidates in local elections. A couple months ago, uh, uh, in Moscow, thousands of people protested in the streets, demanding that independent candidates be allowed to participate in the Moscow uh, City Duma elections. This is a new trend. Before, most Russians believed that only killers, bandits, and other disgusting people <laughs> become politicians <laughs> for Russia. <laughs> Fifteen years ago, uh, uh, if you, if, if, even imagine such a protest in Russia was impossible. Citizens want power. It's a new trend. People want power and want to manage their own city. This is a fundamentally new stage in the development of civil society. There are also 
a protest taking place in Russian regions is very important, not only on Moscow, on big city, but in regions the same process too. And you can see uh, Buryatia. In September of this year in Buryatia, it's Eastern Siberia, hundreds of people protesting in the capital of Buryatia, in Ulanode. In Ulanode, the protege of the government won the election after falsification, of course. As a result, thousands of Buryats came to the street of Ulanode because they want to manage their city without the Kremlin's favorites. And police arrested people, beat people, but citizens don't back down and stay on the streets. And uh, uh, other example, it's a protest on uh, Kalmykia. And uh, uh, Kalmykia, it's, uh, uh, it's far from Moscow, and <laughs> it's other region. And uh, uh, at this moment, in October, in October, a large demonstration took, pl took place in Eliste. Eliste is a capital of Kalmykia, a region in southern uh, Russia. It's a protest against the decision of authorities to make a separatist from Donetsk, the mayor of Elista. And a little bit explain you. Uh, Donetsk uh, was occupied by uh, Putin's uh, killers, Putin's militarists, and uh, uh, authorities, Russian authorities, decided uh, to send uh, ex-government uh, from Donetsk uh, to Elista, to Kalmykia. And Kalmyks, like Buryats, want to manage their own city themselves without protege of Kremlin. Uh, and uh, this is a new trend when people not only in Moscow but also in the regions are beginning to understand the importance of elections. And people are not ready to passively accept the government proteges. They want to make their own choices and participate in normal election. It was absolutely impossible 15 years ago. It's absolutely new trend. And it happens now. <laughs> and uh, however, it's not always possible to win in Russia. And the price of protest is high. And being an activist in Russia is very dangerous, extremely dangerous. For example, in Russia, you can be sent to prison for simply reposting a post on the internet. Uh, and two example uh, for explanation uh, the uh, violence against activists, I want to share with you uh, my personal story, a uh, story of my best friends, uh, journalist Mikhail Bikhetov. And uh, he was journalist, uh, and uh, he was very, very active uh, man on our movement, Sehinki Forest. You can see him uh, before attack. And he was first uh, who, uh, who wrote about corruption. I little bit explain for you uh, uh, this project, uh, motorway uh, through Himki Forest from Moscow to uh, St. Petersburg. Uh, has a big problem with corruption. Uh, the concessionaire of the motorway project uh, through Himke Forest was the strange uh, French company Vancy. Vancy uh, uh, was laundering money for a close friend of Putin, oligarch Arkady Rotenberg. 
and Mikhail was first uh, who wrote about corruption. At first, a criminal case was opened against Mikhail, not against oligarch Arkady Rotenberg, against Mikhail. After that, authorities to kill his dog, and after that, uh, his car exploded. And finally, Himki authorities organized a brutal attack on Mikhail, and as a result, he became uh, absolutely disabled person, without leg, without four fingers of his head, and without, uh, without huge part of head. And uh, after the attack, Mikhail was seriously ill for five years. He never beginning to speak normally. He never beginning uh, to live normally. And unfortunately, uh, he died. Uh, and at this moment, uh, we have a lot of horrible cases. When authorities organize attack and criminal cases against activists. And uh, I want to share with you one horrible case. It's a story of Rostov boys. Two years ago, two teenagers Jan Sidorov and Vlad Mardasov went to the central square of Rostov-on-Don with a poster that said, the government should resign. They were arrested along with another young guy who was just passing by and did not uh, participate in the picket. <coughs> they boy waiting for a, a court decision in prison one and a half Yes. And on uh, this October, uh, they get uh, six and a half years on jail. Six and a half years, only for simple picket. And uh, when boys won on jail, authorities organized tortured. And all four officers beat one boy and they put gas mask on the face of boy. And it's, it's impossible to press normally with gas mask. And after they, they step uh, by leg on the faces of boys and other humiliation. And uh, uh, I think uh, that it's absolutely disgusting and horrible story. And the rest of activists uh, with uh, uh, Amnesty International decided to organize a supporting campaign. And they asked me to <coughs> help. And I, uh, I think that we need to support this campaign. It will be flash mob. I a little bit explained for you. We want uh, to uh, make picture with this uh, hashtag free Rostov free and uh, freedom for Sidorov and uh, Vlad Mardasov and publish it in internet and uh, who want to support this campaign support these guys after our <coughs> event can make picture with me and we publish it and disseminate information with our friends on Rostov with Amnesty International and I am sure that it's it's possible to release uh, these guys. Why? Because I have experience. I took part in many uh, similar campaign, and we really release people from jail. For example, political prisoner Ildar Dadin, he was released. 
And journalist Ivan Golunov, he was released too after public campaign. And environmentalist Evgeny Vitishka, my best friend, he reorganized a huge campaign, supporting <coughs> campaign, and he was released from jail. And uh, artist uh, Pavel Ustinov, it's a, a new case. And it was a huge campaign. A lot of artists support him. And he was released immediately from jail. And political prisoners from Ukraine, uh, Nadia Savchenko, uh, Alexinsov, Kolchenko, and many, many others, uh, all were released after solidarity campaign. It's really effective. And uh, in conclusion, I want to say that all uh, across Russia's regions, People are gathering into grassroots movements to protect their rights. It is important because participation in grassroots movement change people's mentality. As they start to demand democracy, they begin to understand why they need incorporate uh, uncorrupt state uh, institutions. <coughs> they no longer believe propaganda and understand the need for democratic chance. change. I do not know when Putin's regime will end, but if it does, I believe that grassroots activists will be able to create a normal democratic country. This is why it's extremely important to support Russian grassroots activists. Thank you for your attention. I'm so sorry my English because I began to learn language four years ago. <laughs> and a little bit difficult for me. <laughs> so thank you very much. So, um, very important, uh, the information that you're sharing um, with our audience and also audiences who are able to, to see this on the internet. Um, to just start things off, uh, I wonder um, how you think about the discrepancy between uh, the way that the Putin regime is viewed within Russia and the way it's viewed from outside. Because here in America, at least, I think we have the sense that the Putin regime is all-powerful, all-knowing, extremely capable, completely ruthless, <clears throat> never gives in to, to anything, never compromises. But that's from a long distance for people who don't follow politics from day to day. From your experience in Russia and from what Russians know, how is it that despite these perceptions that we have about the way that the Putin regime works, that it's still possible for people to protest in large numbers and even to succeed and to cause the regime to back down. Как она сравнивается с той перспективой, которая существует вне России? Для тех, кто живет вне России, Русин, Путин – это человек и режим его тут, который не сдается, который не выступает, который давит, который, так сказать, ходится вперед без остановки. Вы, с другой стороны, сейчас презентовали и внутри страны говорите о том, что есть народное движение, есть какая-то позиция, которая не просто существует, но еще и добивается успехов. Насколько вот эти две, так сказать, разные страны общества могут быть сравнимы, что вы можете сказать по этому поводу? Oh, thank you. It's a really excellent question. And uh, I think that uh, Putin uh, propaganda organizes me that it's impossible to win for ordinary people. Mm -hmm. Of course, it's true. It's really a very powerful machine. I mean, uh, uh, Putin's <coughs> mafia. 
and uh, it's, uh, they impact to America, they impact to Europe, and they uh, have a huge resource and a lot of money. And uh, they can uh, buy some politicians leader on Western companies, uh, on Western countries. Uh, and I remind you a story yeah. of Schroeder. <laughs> and uh, of course it's true. Uh, but I think that uh, uh, Putin's regime especially hide information about successful campaigns. And we have a lot of successful campaigns. And at this moment, we have a problem with Russian people because, unfortunately, Russians don't believe for their forces. And it was my reason why I decided to organize this presentation, not only for you, but for Russian society too. I have the same presentation for Russian society. I want to explain for people that if you believe uh, yourself, it's possible to win. Because if you not believe yourself, you never win. You need to believe that you, it's possible uh, to win Putin's regime. Of course, it's extremely difficult. Why? Because Putin's regime, uh, it's, a, a, it's not a new phenomenon. Uh, Putin's from KGB structure, and KGB has 100 uh, years of history. It's a very powerful organization, and this organization uh, has horrible uh, experience of destroying uh, Putin's life, destroying society. It's true. But I think that we live in a new reality uh, when people uh, have a new tools, internet, and uh, have a chance to organize solidarity campaign. And you can observe that a lot of Russians won. After this public campaigns, it's possible. It was impossible on Soviet Union because it was a closed system. But at this moment, it's possible. But I don't know why it happens. Uh, and I, uh, uh, I think that uh, not all Russian people are so active. Only small part. But Putin authorities organize so stupid, stupid projects that more and more people uh, were forced to respond. And more and more people uh, beginning to organize uh, environmental and other campaigns. And uh, I think it's really a very good trend. And according to the Levada study, uh, after 50 years, uh, will be a uh, situation when uh, uh, Russia changed regime and Russia beca uh, became a uh, democracy state. And uh, I think that very important other process, because at this moment, Putin regime get money from uh, Europe, because unfortunately, after annexation of Crimea, uh, the Holland beginning to buy from Putin's Russia in six times more oil than before. And Germany began to buy in two times more gas than before. And at this moment, we have a new project, the Nord Stream 2 project. It's a, a huge pipeline from uh, Russia to uh, uh, Germany uh, through bottom of Baltic Sea. And it's a, a horrible project, prolongs the life of Putin regime for dozens of years. Mm. And I think that extremely important to stop it. 
to stop to give Putin for Putin's regime money because Putin spends this money after uh, uh, buying gas and oil, uh, not buying, selling, selling uh, gas and oil for disgusting needs, for propaganda machine, for repressions we see in Russia, for military campaigns against our neighbors Georgia and Ukraine and Syria and Venezuela. And I think that it's <coughs> extremely important to stop it. And uh, I think that it's really a big problem for us, for Russian activists, that uh, unfortunately Europe continued to collaborate with Putin's regime. And I think that uh, uh, when these two trends, increasing grassroots activity we see in Russia and uh, stopping uh, buying gas and oil and other natural resources from Putin, when these two trends increasing, at this moment, Putin regime hold down. Uh, other questions? Laura. <coughs> so I'm Laura Eglitsen uh, with the Jackson School. Um, so, uh, Jenny, thank you for your overview of the um, NGO and grassroots work is very impressive. And But um, one thing, as someone who's been involved with the grassroots movement in Russia for probably longer than you uh, from this perspective uh, in, in the West. Um, the, you know, one of the things that we've observed is that often it's the environmental issues that are the start of uh, mm -hmm. public activism because it's close to people's hearts and obviously mm -hmm. you're, uh, you're a demonstration of that. And then you've also mentioned some of the other things that have brought people out in the streets like the truck drivers and pensioners mm -hmm. and, other things. So um, it seems to be a challenge to get the broader group of Russian and other <coughs> citizens out for, for reasons. How, how, how do you view that in terms of you know, your work with environment and obviously you've worked with other uh, concerns by mm -hmm. now? Спасибо большое за ваше выступление. Вы подняли здесь очень важные вопросы. Я работаю на этой же теме достаточно давно, даже, наверное, дольше, чем вы. Вы упомянули о том, что движение, как правило, начинается с чего-то маленького, например, движение за экологические какие-то проблемы или против каких-то экологических нарушений. Вы привели другие примеры, водители фур, пенсионеры и так далее. То есть, когда мы говорим о более широком, большом движении протестов в России, что можно сказать по этому поводу? Это очень трудно организовать большое массовое движение, это гораздо труднее организовать, чем движение, которое сориентировано на какую-то небольшую проблему. Как это движение развивается? Что это I think that it's not so easy to organize small local grassroots uh, movement. It's extremely difficult too. And I think that if we speak about the huge, uh, big uh, grassroots movement, uh, I think that it's possible after the strange, stupid decision of authorities. I think that Putin regime help us to organize a big movement. And I remind you story with uh, election, um, uh, falsification of election on 2011-2012. Uh, and after the mass falsification, a lot of people uh, was uh, Humiliation, humiliated, humiliated, 
and uh, they understand that they need to answer. And who help us to organize this mass protest? Of course, Putin, <laughs> who, who uh, falsificate election. <laughs> and, and I think that uh, um, step by step, after the organizing small local uh, movement, people change their mentality. They are not uh, believed to authorities after that. They are not believed to propaganda. I give for you one interesting example from Tarfianka Park. Uh, it happens after the annexation of Crimea, and many and uh, Tarfianka located uh, on a very poor district of Moscow, and the people who live near the Tarfianka uh, they believe to propaganda a long time. And I uh, collaborate with uh, these people, and I remember that after. Uh, uh, after attack of police and after lie about activity of Tarfanka activists uh, by the TV, they step by step beginning to change their opinion because first moment uh, they were surprised why police beaten us. We are not uh, separatists, we are Russian people. Why police beaten us? We want to save our nature reserve, our park. And after that, uh, after lie about their campaign uh, on, uh, on TV, uh, and uh, Propaganda Machine uh, published a lot of lie, uh, a lot of horrible information about defenders of Tafyanka. <coughs> they began to discuss on groups on the internet that, oh, it's so strange. Why a TV show lie about us? And maybe information about Ukraine is lied too? And they, step by step, they begin to understand that we don't have normal independent media. We have a propaganda machine. And it's change, uh, it's change uh, mentality. And after that, some of activists decided to come to elections. But it's a long process. And I don't know how long it will be. But uh, I think that it's really very important that we have this process. Because 14 years ago, it, it was not. And I think that uh, for historical, it's extremely fast that uh, grassroots groups and uh, civil society growth on Russia, because it was impossible in Soviet Union. We have a zero level of uh, civil society activity. And at this moment, we have a really inspiring trend, increasing <coughs> number of grassroots groups. But it's the first time on our history. And nobody know. Uh, when we win. <laughs> Chris, uh, two questions. Uh, have the grassroots movements been able to bring uh, uh, legal cases to the European Court of Human Rights? Uh, have grass, second question, have grassroots movements been able to bring uh, their concerns to these uh, meetings of the Organization for Security Cooperation in Europe that deal with uh, human rights uh, issues, political rights issues. Oh, thank you. I understand this question. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, uh, we uh, had some uh, victories on European courts. Uh, it's case about um, um, about activists 
uh, who were arrested in Russia. Uh, and uh, uh, authorities sometimes, Russian authorities sometimes paid fee for these activists. It happens. And it's extremely important for us. Why? Not because people get money. It's important too, of course, but not only this need. Uh, because it's attract attention. And it's extremely important. We have uh, on Russia grassroots activists, we have only one tool, publicity. And for us, it's extremely important, opinion of Western countries. Why? Because I don't know why, but for Russian authorities, it's really very important opinion of America on mm. Europe. Of course, they uh, disseminate information through uh, Russian TV that uh, it's our enemies. America our enemy and Europe our enemy, but in reality, they really very concerned about opinion of Western countries. <coughs> and uh, when uh, we have publicity, when we have, uh, when we have uh, media support on Europe, on America, it's extremely important for process within Russia. And this European court will help us. But unfortunately, it's for us, it's really very, very difficult uh, to uh, achieve this goal, to share information uh, on Europe, in America. Why? Because a huge part of Russian people cannot speak English, unfortunately. And it's really very difficult uh, to, and we don't have experience. And for us, it's extremely difficult to share information about our problems. It was my reason why I'm so, uh, not so young woman in 38 beginning to learn English. Because I understand, I need to share information because it's really effective. And it was my reason why we decided to organize special media support for grassroots groups because publicity, it's really, it's really effective. And it's for us, it's extremely important collaboration with European organization. But unfortunately, it's really rare. Because first problem is a language. Uh, for Russian people, it, it's a horrible to speak in Russia, to, to speak in English. And uh, it was uh, uh, it's our mission, my team, to help for people. For example, uh, activists from Shias, from Arkhangelsk district, kindly ask me, please share information about us in America. We need support. <laughs> and uh, and uh, I think uh, they understand it's extremely important to share. And I think that successful Russian campaigns uh, it's a successful of collaboration between uh, activists on Europe and America and on Russia. And on our case, on uh, Himke Forest, we get very good support from activists from America and uh, from Europe, from uh, France. Uh, and thanks of uh, France activists, uh, we uh, organize low case against oligarch Rothenberg and against company 1C. 1C uh, was company concessionaire of the project Moscow St. Petersburg Motorway uh, was laundering money for needs of Arkady Rothenberg. And uh, we organized low case for prosecute office uh, of uh, France. It was first case on history uh, of Russian history uh, when we sent case about London money scheme to mm. French prosecutor office. Mm. But we made decision from this prosecutor office during two years. <clears throat> it's a long time. 
and uh, but it was and it attracted attention and uh, uh, the result of that was very important because uh, authorities wanted to cut down 2,000 hectares of Himke forest and uh, finally that cut down only 100 hectares not 2,000 but only 100 it's it's a big deal, I think. And if, why it's happened? Because uh, we are uh, very active people on Himke Forest, and second, because we have very good collaboration with our French colleague, with our colleague on uh, America, uh, and it's helped us. Uh, no, it's about OSC. OSC, unfortunately, I don't have information about the support, and maybe it happens, but I don't have information. Since uh, Russia was so successful in manipulating our election, and since I'm an Asian specialist, the Chinese have developed firewalls to pursue the same thing uh, Mr. Putin is doing. Uh, I wish you could explain more fully uh, what uh, the Russian government is doing uh, to manipulate uh, the cyber dimension of behavior uh, regarding elections, regarding your actions in protest. Thank you for a wonderful talk. Спасибо большое за выступление. Моя специализация Азия, и вопрос мой связан с успехом, который Россия испытала, включившись и изменив ход наших выборов. А я знаю, что Китай строит большую firewall, большую защитную систему компьютерную для того, чтобы не произошло того же самого. Не могли бы вы более подробно рассказать о том, что вы думаете по поводу вот этих манипуляций, которые происходят сейчас в киберпространстве, и каковы, так сказать, цели России, успехи и будущее? Thank you for the excellent question. And I am so honored that you ask me about so difficult things. And I think that our authorities really crazy. Why? Because they spent our budget money for very strange things. At this moment, we have horrible medical reform. When a lot of hospitals were closed and people became without medical support on regions. We have a horrible situation with schools on regions when uh, schools uh, beginning to close because on budget we didn't have money for hospitals, for schools, but we have money for uh, impact to American elections. It's so crazy. You live without, uh, without trousers, but <laughs> you try to impact to huge country. I, I think that sometimes I think that Putin's really, uh, really strange person. Why? Because he want to impact. For him, it's not so interesting what happens within Russia. It's not interesting for him. Mm. The needs of uh, ordinary people, it's not interesting. He, he likes a small boy. He wants to play on a big uh, game. Mm. And I think that it's uh, ambition, personal ambition of this strange man <laughs> with a Soviet Union past. And uh, if you want to understand policy of Russia, you need to understand mentality of 
Soviet uh, uh, and KGB uh, person. And uh, you understand his logic. But for me, it's extremely strange behavior. And I think that uh, with, uh, yes, of course, Putin regime have a lot of money, but after collapse of oil price, and uh, after the annexation of Crimea and economic <coughs> sanctions, Putin regime doesn't have enough of money for his disgusting things. And I think that if you continue sanctions uh, policy, it will be chance to stop the strange policy of Kremlin. Because it's a question of resources. If Kremlin have a lot of resources, they can impact. If not, resources <coughs> cannot. It was my reason why I organized campaign against the Nord Stream 2 project. Because it's a question of resources. Uh, when Germany pay for Putin's regime, Putin regime get money and pay for cyber bandits to impact not only to America but to other elections. Because I know that uh, the, uh, 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 there are a lot of uh, uh, scandals on Europe with impact of elections by Kremlin. And uh, uh, I think that uh, it's extremely important to stop collaborate with Putin's regime and to stop to buy from him nature resources. And I think that uh, personal sanctions works really good. Mm. It's really good. I would like to take a question from a student now. You can jump to queue. Mm -hmm. You know who you are. <laughs> and well, I want a little bit add. I think that uh, really very extremely important uh, to continue support uh, uh, grassroots groups and uh, to continue support uh, active people within Russia. We need to organize services for them. It was my reason why I decided to organize uh, 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 this portal, Aktivatiko.org for organizing media support, because we need to organize services, <coughs> independent services for people. Why? Because they stay alone with these monstrous. And I, and I very uh, thanks for uh, American donors who continue support uh, activity of uh, uh, Russian independent NGOs, uh, because unfortunately, after adopted of uh, foreign uh, law uh, against independent NGOs, uh, it was really extremely dangerous and very, very hard to continue to support grassroots groups in Russia. But it's really very important, not only sanctions, but supporting, because at the same moment, uh, at this moment, we have a strange situation because uh, Europe uh, continue to buy uh, oil and gas, and Putin regime continue to get money from uh, from Europe. But at the same time, uh, independent NGO uh, NGOs who support grassroots groups uh, stop. Uh, to get uh, donors' money. Uh, why? Because donors are afraid to collaborate with them after foreign uh, law, um, adoption of this uh, uh, foreign agency law. And it's a strange situation. And I think that we need to be more flexible, like Putin regime. And he impact to Europe. But I think extremely important to impact uh, to Putin's regime through the grassroots groups. <coughs> 
If people listening want to support your activities, where would you recommend that they send donations or otherwise lend support? Если вы хотите, чтобы вас поддерживали люди, куда вы рекомендуете посылать свои пожертвования, если какие-то счета, если там конкретные адреса? As at the moment we walk through independent NGO on Baltic countries. And uh, I think it's really a very good, flexible scheme. And it's possible to continue to collaborate with NGOs. A lot of NGOs, not so a lot, but some NGOs from Russia, uh, come to Baltic countries because it's more for safety reasons, mm -hmm. including my NGO. And I think that it's important to continue to collaborate with this independent NGO because uh, we find a <coughs> flexible scheme how it's possible to continue to support the grassroots groups within Russia and how to protect our activists. Maybe after the talk is over, we can write some organizations on the board that people can contribute to. For example, I work on Open Estonia Foundation, and we walk through Open Estonia Foundation. Any students? Yes. So here in the United States, a lot of these kind of movements are really brought together by social media, and that's how a lot of them can kind of pull together and get organized. And I know in Russia, social media is maybe less of an open and free forum as it may be here. And so does that play a role in organizing these kind of movements, or uh, how does that work? соцсетей. Здесь соцсети в Америке играют очень большую роль, как раз речь идет о молодежи, которая пытается организовать, и не молодежи тоже. А соцсети гораздо более закрыты в России. Что вы можете сказать по поводу их роли в организации движения? It's extremely important really for us too. And through the, как это соцсети? Social media. Through the social media we achieved a lot of our goals. And through the social media we released people from Russian jail. It's possible, and it's work very good. It was my reason why I kindly ask you uh, to uh, uh, to support campaign uh, Free Rostov Three together, stay and publish this uh, photo. Because after that, of course, I publish it on social media, and I believe that it's uh, work, and I believe that it's possible uh, to uh, protect people on prison. <coughs> through this uh, uh, activity. And I think that it's our tools. We have only uh, one tool, uh, only social media, sometimes, because we don't have normal state institutions. We don't have normal police. When you ask police uh, to protect your rights, police beginning to beat you. <laughs> Dear, I remember one funny story. It was on Himki Forest. Uh, some Nazi uh, sucks. Uh, uh, authorities invited Nazi Sachs to beat NAS activists, environmental activists. It's so funny story. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I called to police, and police came, release Nazi Sachs, Nazi bandit, and Nazi bandit, and beginning to beat us, included journalists. And, uh, uh, and uh, of course, we understand clearly that police, we don't have police, we have a bandit structure. And uh, only thanks of uh, social media, only thanks of uh, journalists who were beaten, we disseminate information about that. 
and uh, a lot of people uh, beginning to support us after that because it was so strange that authorities invite Nazi sucks forbidden environmentalists. It was so, so, so bad. And uh, uh, thanks of publicity, uh, we had a lot of uh, uh, a lot of successful campaigns. For example, I want to share with you one story from uh, my experience, like journalist uh, of Activatica.org, why we decided to organize this media, because it was attempt to organize Facebook for activists. Because it's portal, a special portal. Uh, if you're activist, you can put information on our portal without premoderation. The same story with Facebook. And how it's work. Uh, one day we found information uh, that uh, uh, bandits beaten activists on uh, Park Druzba. It uh, means friendly park. Uh, on, uh, on Friendship Park, uh, on Moscow. <coughs> and we uh, decided to support this activist, and we found information about leader of uh, these bandits, and we found that it was a, a, a military bandit. He began his career from uh, genocide on Bosnia, and after that, uh, he had a horrible uh, cases of uh, his biography. And finally, uh, he uh, invited killers to Donbass, uh, to Lugansk. And uh, uh, we disseminate information about him. And uh, after that, he afraid and sent for us letter why we get this information. I come to court and we answer him, of course, no problem, come to court. And uh, we publish this information loudly. And he stopped to beat activists because he prayed. It was a powerful of social media because we threw information about the suck through the social media. And I th think it's extremely good work. It's really work. And, uh, uh, <coughs> and I, I think that it's my reason why we continue our activity like journalists for activists. Peter Jackson. Um, I was going to ask, uh, it's kind of a naive question, but does Russia have its version of environmental impact statements and a National Environmental Policy Act, something kind of um, that aligns with what the United States and other Western countries have done in terms of, of monitoring environmental activity? Вопрос у меня может немножко наивный, но есть ли в России какие-то официальные заявления о состоянии экологии, экологического состояния страны, и есть ли какие-то законы, которые подобны нашему закону об охране окружающей страны, среды, принятые здесь в США, что-то официальное, защищающее... It was impossible to cut down Hinky Forest because according to Russian Constitution, according Forest Court, according Land for Court, Land for Court, земельный кодекс, mm -hmm, the code of uh, land code use. of land use and uh, code of forest use, and according to the federal law, it was absolutely impossible to build something on Hinky Forest. Our problems, it's not a legislation. Our problems that authorities, uh, our authorities in Russia, it's a mafia. And they never, uh, um, uh, never respect legislation. They can broke legislation 
if it's profitable for them. And uh, sometimes we have very good reports of uh, uh, Russian uh, scientists from uh, different uh, uh, ecological, uh, ecological ministries. ministries. Uh, and uh, uh, sometimes it happens, but the problem is the authorities who make decision never uh, heard them. They never heard about them. And ne never heard uh, uh, their opinion. Never heard their opinion. It's a problem. And only through the active of citizens it's possible uh, uh, to no, uh, so basically the citizens have to put their effort in order to for the law to function and in order to, uh, in order for the law to be observed mm -hmm. yeah. and uh, uh, it's my reason why I believe to grassroots activity because unfortunately Russian authorities don't concern about legislation. And I give for you an interesting example. Uh, I, uh, as, uh, I thought uh, for you about the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. And according to the Russian legislation, it's absolutely impossible to, be, to build this pipeline through the Kurgalsky Nature Reserve. Because this pipeline comes through Kurgalsky Nature Reserve and destroys a lot of unique ecological systems. And uh, the Nord Stream 2 AG company uh, had secret negotiation with Russian government and with Gazprom, it's a huge uh, gas company, about changing Russian legislation for building this pipeline through uh, nature reserve. It's happened, and uh, uh, nobody to concern about that. And it's this problem because, unfortunately, if we speak about the Nord Stream 2, we speak about nature is far from people and nobody to protect this land. And authorities think, oh, no problem, nobody to live here, nobody to organize ecological campaign, and we built our pipeline. And scientists organized very good study about that, but nobody heard uh, their opinion. It's a problem. At this moment, we organize campaign against this North Sea 2 project, and we try to share information with the foreign society on Europe, and uh, we try to disseminate information on France, on uh, on Dutch, and on Germany. But it's really extremely difficult because, for example, Germany journalists don't want to publish information about this problem. Maybe we can just collect a, a few more questions, uh, and then you can answer all the ones that you choose mm -hmm. to. Um, so Jose, and Mara, and Craig. Jose? Yes, I, I also had a question, I guess, in kind of comparing the American with the Russian environmentalist um, movement. Um, if in, in, in other parts of the world, um, indigenous groups, whether it's Native Americans in Standing Rock, or whether it's the Indian tribes in, in Brazil uh -huh. that are the, the public face of, of those struggles, I'm curious to what extent your coalition also includes indigenous people. I realize that um, that the history in Russia is a little bit different, but it's still a multiracial society. Um, so I'm curious to what extent that that is a part of your um, coalition. Чисто скот предложил задать несколько 
сразу, а потом вы выберете те, на которые вы да, хотите я понимаю, ответить. Да. Значит, первый вопрос о в, в введении, или, так сказать, привлечении коренного населения. Здесь это очень большое движение. Мы знаем Standing Rock, мы знаем бразильских коренных жителей, которые борются активно за сохранение окружающей среды и за свои права одновременно. Насколько это происходит в России, насколько привлечены коренные жители России к этому oh, движению? Это вопрос номер один. Uh -huh. Дальше будут несколько еще вопросов, Хорошо, потом вы yeah. выберете, на какой вы ответите. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. Ну, насколько вы чувствуете эту поддержку по мере того, как вы все больше и больше углубляетесь в активизм? Вы одна или за вами, так на вашей карьере, на вашей жизни, ah, вообще после oh. возвращения боитесь ли вы, например, ареста или каких-то преследований, или наоборот, ваш голос будет слышнее, потому что сейчас вы, так сказать, uh -huh. проехали oh, с вот этими Mining gas beginning from Yamal. Yamal, it's a peninsula. Ah, peninsula. Peninsula, and a lot of indigenous people on Yamal were killed on Soviet Union time. And at this moment, nobody to ask opinion of Yamal indigenous people about this project. And it's important because this mining gas. Destroying normal life of indigenous. It's a type of colonization, new colonization. And uh, after that, this pipeline comes through Russian territory and comes through Kurgalsky nature reserve near the Baltic Sea. And near this place, Kurgalsky, lived indigenous Finno-Ugric people. And they did not get information about this pipeline through the nature reserve. And on Stalin time, huge population of these Finno-Ugric people were killed. And very small part of population stay. And FSB came, at this moment, came to houses of these indigenous and explained them, if you open your mouth, will be problem with you. Security. And people are afraid. Of course, they're afraid. And I try. We organize, at this moment, we organize uh, conferences about the problem with the North Stream 2. <coughs> and we try to invite indigenous from Yamal and from Kurgalsky. And I call for them and ask, are you come to, uh, 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 do you have a chance to come to our conference to Strasbourg, to Hack, to Berlin? And they answer me, it's impossible for us, unfortunately. They're afraid. Because uh, Putin's regime, to use uh, some indigenous coalition, seized this indigenous coalition only for beautiful picture. 
if some experts from uh, Germany, uh, from Europe come to check uh, situation with the Nord Stream 2 pipeline, Putin authorities show for them some indigenous happy people, couples person, for example, <laughs> for couples people, happy. Because uh, Putin's regime have a big experience with, um, I don't know, with influence for people. And they, uh, they impact for some of indigenous. But a big population uh, don't want to collaborate with Putin's regime, but afraid to, uh, to organize something against Putin's regime. Uh, only at this moment, uh, I uh, remind you my report, and at this moment, we have very important movement of indigenous in Kalmykia and in Buryatia. When people are, are understanding, beginning to understand, they want to manage their life without support of Kremlin. And it's really very new because it's beginning on this autumn. <laughs> and we, of course, our mission at this moment to support them. And we're beginning to collaborate with, with them. Our step uh, call to uh, activists from Buryatia, from uh, Kalmykia, and we uh, ask them how it's possible to support you. And uh, uh, I think it's our mission because we are Russians and we need to support uh, these indigenous because uh, unfortunately uh, our authorities uh, to colonize them. And if you ask me about supporting, I very thanks for America because thanks of opinion, uh, um, uh, uh, attention, attention of uh, uh, American uh, politicians, I keep my life. Uh, we had a horrible situation with Mikhail Biketov, and after that, uh, a, 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 a politicians uh, from American embassy in Moscow, including my best friend, Mike McVall, beginning to invite me and, uh, and show for Kremlin that they control me. And it helps me, very helped, because uh, we had uh, many cases against activists in Himki and other places. Uh, and FSB tried to seize my children. Of course, FSB destroyed my business. I had engineering business. I was a normal woman. <laughs> I had, on my last life, I had a normal engineering business, but they destroyed it. Uh, but I survived, why? Because uh, thanks of uh, um, attention of uh, uh, American uh, politicians, uh, thanks of Goldman Prize team, it's really support. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, of course, uh, thanks of my family, because they support me. Uh, my relatives first moment afraid my activity, but after that my mom helped me with my children, and uh, my husband very helped me. It's really very good work, and uh, many, many people helped me when I, uh, for example, when I lived on Himki. Sometimes I returned at home, and I found some pensioners who bring potatoes and uh, tea and piroshki, uh, cakes, Russian cakes, uh, uh, with uh, uh, somebody sweet. <laughs> and uh, they uh, stay with my child, with my children, like babysitters for free. 
and uh, I'm so pleasant for these people because a lot of people really support me and really help me uh, on difficult time. And at this moment, unfortunately, after uh, the adoption of uh, foreign uh, agency law, uh, my NGO in Russia uh, uh, began uh, Stalada mm-hmm. began uh, foreign agency became began became a foreign agency and I um, we decided to change scheme of our job because we wanted to continue our activity we wanted to con- to organize NGO and support other grassroots groups because we have uh, a huge experience we was first of grassroots group on Russia and we understand we need to support other activists and we decided to change scheme of our job and we moved to Estonia. Estonia it's, uh, was uh, um, uh, occupied by the Soviet Union during 50 years and at this moment it's a normal democracy country and we located uh, in Estonia our step but a huge part of our team stay on Russia and work on Russia but a few people uh, walk on step and is our head located on Estonia. And for me, uh, this traveling to America is excellent opportunity to share information about situation in Russia, to attract attention for really horrible situation and for really wonderful situation. And for me, it's not a problem because I return to normal country mm-hmm. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and I, I, I wait my chance to return to my motherland it's my big dream because I want to return and organize a normal democracy country. I have experience uh, and uh, I collaborate with uh, politicians on Europe and America and I get experience and I think it's in on the future it's help us. Before we conclude, I want to acknowledge a few other people who helped make this event happen. Uh, Phil Lyon, the Managing Director of the Ellison Center, Monique Thorman, who handles communications for the Jackson School, uh, and Elena Bell, who is a PhD student here at the Jackson School and also a professional interpreter. Thank you a lot. And now, please join me in thanking Eugenia Chirico. Thank you for your-